Hello and welcome to this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. Brian Harmon, pride of Savannah, Georgia, proud Georgia Bulldog, is a major champion. Tip the cap, dogs on top. On a miserable, wet, cold day at Royal Liverpool, I literally cannot figure out how to use this British uh, drying machine. Uh, the left-hander never let his pursuers get closer than three shots and won by six over four players including John Rahm. He's the ninth player Brian Harmon is in the last 25 years to win by six or more strokes in a major. Bryson DeChambeau last did it, 2020 U.S. Open. Rex, what are your thoughts after this major Sunday, the final major Sunday of 2023? Uh, You're going to have some thoughts on this final major Sunday and this major particular. So I'm going to kind of leave the floor to you. I I am going to say, before we get to those, and it's certainly you, you make some legitimate points, this was a masterful performance. When you look at everything he did, he did everything you have to do well at the Open Championship to to win, and certainly win by six strokes. He had didn't have a three-putt all week long, hit into one bunker, reminiscent of Tiger Woods back in 2006, and even that, that time he got up and down. He never really opened the door on the weekend. I mean, consider that going into the weekend, he had a five-stroke lead. And that he never he got to two strokes yesterday early in the round. He had a bogey. Started it seemed like the wheels were coming off. Got him back on. Exact same thing this morning. It, it's amazing to me that we never would have had the conversation. Certainly four days ago, probably four months ago, that Brian Harmon could be a major champion. Nothing against him. Two-time tour winner before this. A fine player. He just didn't have that pedigree. He didn't have the record. He didn't have what you thought it took to win the open championship. And that was just a clinic. I mean, I, I, I know you wrote, I'm guessing 3000 words, 1700. I kept it. I kept it tight. Oh, wow. Had a little bit, of, had a little bit of a distraction. Kid got sent to the ER. Uh, everything's fine. Appreciate your uh, teasing. Shout out to cam. Shout out to cam. Uh, Hope you're okay. So pal. no, I, I kept it. I kept it at 1700. Um, but it is, it is interesting. Like we never in a million years would have mentioned Brian Harmon during the preview podcast. Maybe if we were looking at like long shots to, to place a few pounds on, uh, unlike our friend Mark Schlebaugh, another fellow Georgia Bulldog, uh, you, you maybe could have made the case for Brian Harmon coming off three straight top 12s. We look at his open record. You look at the history of this golf course. I mean, it has literally only exalted some of the giants of the game. And yet you had the diminutive Brian Harmon, who, who didn't just stand the tallest, but like he, he towered over the rest of the field by six shots, Rex. Like you, you rarely see this sort of dominance. Uh, it, it came out of nowhere. When you, when you look at his Sunday performance, we talked about it yesterday uh, on this very podcast. We, we kind of thought exactly what was going to happen, where he's going to have you know these nervy, these anxious moments early, maybe come back to the field, and then would he rebound? Because you know he was going to hit bad shots. The weather was certainly worse than I think you or I or anybody else anticipated. It rained. The entire day, the wind didn't necessarily blow, but I mean, it, it rained either lightly, moderately, or heavily. Like, it was just an absolute slop out there. You're getting a lot of uh, water between the club face and the ball. Shots were going any which manner. And sure enough, just like on Saturday, the two bogeys rebounded with the two birdies to put this tournament away. It was an incredible performance for a 36-year-old who had not been in this position in six years had not won a golf tournament in more than six years. Uh, It came out of nowhere, but I think it's also really cool when you see 
a player of Brian Harmon's ability kind of have the week of his life as well. I think that's something to be celebrated. I agree with everything except for this was out of nowhere. And it was out of nowhere in as much as you and I didn't talk about him on Wednesday in the podcast. And I can't imagine anyone did. If Schleyball didn't put money on him, who is the biggest Georgia homer, then no one was going to talk about him. But And I think we addressed this on Friday night in the podcast. I mean, I talked to Justin Parsons. And something did click last year. His record and this Open Championship had been horrible until last year. And he'd missed the cut the week before at the Scottish Open and shot over par on day one at St. Andrews. And then something just fell into place. And the way Justin described it to me is he should have played Lynx golf well. He had sort of all the elements. I mean, he's kind of an old school guy. He plays golf shot, not golf swing. And he loves to sort of be creative. And he loves to sort of keep it in front of him. And obviously a very, very good putter with a great short game. All the things you would expect, but it didn't sort of fall in until last year. And that carried over. He played pretty well last week at the Scottish Open. And then you look at his results. I think those last three tour events before this, he hadn't finished outside the top 15. So I, I guess to your point, you're right. We didn't talk about him on Wednesday. I don't think anybody did. But if you were really looking closely, I guess we probably should have. Walter Hagen, Bobby Jones, Tiger Woods, Roy McIlroy, Brian Harmon. One of these is not like the other dominant performances, all of them. Uh, and, and this one was, was interesting because it was a week dominated by Roy McIlroy, who and we're certainly going to get into Roy. That's who you wrote uh, on Sunday for GolfChannel.com. This is one of the best positions, if not the best position, he since this major drought started. He won last week in the Scottish Open in thrilling fashion. He played the majors so well uh, over the past couple of months. Tons of confidence coming in here. Ends up having a, a, you know another backdoor top 10 finish. We talked about him. We talked about Scotty Scheffler, who is having a, a dominant statistical season. The best ball striking we have seen out of a player since Tiger Woods in 2006, like absolutely ridiculous levels of ball striking. And he was a virtual non-factor. He had a nice round on Sunday, shot 67, uh, but did not factor from the get-go. You had Brooks, you had Cam Smith, you had Xander, you had Cantlay, you had John Jordan Rom. Spieth, you had John Rahm. Uh, nowhere. He, he, Brian Harmon, despite his current form, despite his open championship record, That's despite – the level of play he had coming here, he, he wouldn't have been in your top 20 picks. No, no, he this, wouldn't have. This week. And maybe he should I, have. That's kind of my point. It, I'm not yeah. trying to do revisionist stuff here. I mean, we did not pick him. He wasn't on my radar. Uh, but I guess looking back now that, yes, we probably should have clued in and, and, and maybe looked into it a little bit harder. These things what does it mean? What does it mean? Oh, what does it Brian mean Harmon. the fact that, that, that Brian Harmon – won this major championship by six shots and is now a major champion at the age of 36. He's now going to be a U.S. Ryder Cupper for the very first time. He's up to 10th in the world ranking. What does it all mean? I think it means it's kind of fulfilled his career. And I don't want to say he's topped out. I don't want to say this is it because even at 30-something years old, that's not fair or, or accurate. But I remember, I think we had this conversation. I remember being in Savannah. It must have been for St. Patrick's Day because we were there for some reason. And seeing the newspaper the morning he signed to go to the University of Georgia. This is a junior golfer being on the front page, not the front of the sports page, on the front page. I mean, he was a really, really big deal, and he kind of addressed that tonight about he had a ton of talent. He won a U.S. junior. I think he qualified for two Walker Cups, which is really, really hard to do. All the things that he accomplished, and then I was so thrown, and I'm sure you got into this in, in your game story. Mark Slayball walked up and asked you something about how many times did he win when he was at the University of Georgia, and you said twice. Is that correct? 
That's true. That's, that's correct. Yep. He won twice. He was never a first team all American. Second team. That's three times. That shocked team, me. But was never a first team all American. I mean, that shocked me because he was a guy. He was the number one ranked amateur in the world. I'm pretty sure he was the number one college golfer at some point. No, that, that, no, no, actually, that's probably he was the number right. one ranked amateur, but not the number yeah. one ranked college player. And so he seemed to have hit a wall, and he hit a wall in a really, really weird spot. And I, it was funny. I, the one thing I took away from Tuesday, uh, Saturday night's press conference was he was asked about what do you consider your greatest accomplishment on tour? And he had won twice before this weekend. And he said he qualified for the playoffs every year he'd been on the PGA Tour. That's kind of like for most people who don't follow golf, you're going to roll your eyes and think, well, that's a dumb accomplishment. That's an accomplishment because that means you're better than – Eight players. Eight players, yeah. Rex. Yeah, no, it, it means that you, you, you've done something that, that – I mean, this is Tiger Woods territory. Actually, that's not fair because Tiger Woods hasn't done it, I mean, injury-wise. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's a pretty amazing accomplishment. So what it means to his career is, I, I guess, and this is always a tricky territory where you say, had he underperformed up to this point? And, and maybe he had. And maybe this was his potential all along. It's odd to say that. Because of where the game is right now. The game is about power. The game is about getting bigger. He was the, the second, third, and fourth round leader. The first round leader was 14 inches taller than him. He is not a large man. 14 inches. I mean, it's like they were playing two separate sports. He, he's not short. I'm glad that he kind of clarified that in his press conference. But he's clearly middle of the pack. And he doesn't belong in that category when we talk about, oh, he knocks the cover off the ball, and he's sort of that modern athlete, and that's how they're going to overpower the game. He didn't do that at all. He hit a lot of fairways. Again, go back to no three putts and one bunker. He did all the things you had to do right on a Lynx golf course. Do, do I think he can – does that translate to Augusta, which is a big ballpark where I, I wouldn't imagine that his game would be a perfect fit? Probably not, but it was perfect here. Sounds like you and I would have written the exact same game story on Sunday night, and that's exactly what I wrote. I spoke of a journey that was validated not by how he's played recently, and we just talked about it, the three top 12 finishes, certainly trending in the right direction, but basically what he'd done his entire career. Like He was a, a hot shot rookie, number one ranked player in the country. Uh, everyone wanted him. Was he cocky? George, Do you George think he was, cocky? he was cocky? He was cocky. Yes, of, of course he was cocky. He even said there wasn't anybody that could beat me back then. I talked to Jake T. Poston, who's one of his closest friends, lives on Sea Island. He said he was one of the few players that as a junior player, there was actually talk of him turning pro. And they actually think, you know, that he could have even been successful at that point. He was that polished. He was that developed. Uh, he was that far ahead of his competition. So what happened, right? Like, that's, that's the question. Athens? Did Athens what? get him? Athens got him. Uh, his head coach uh, at the time with, with the Bulldogs, Chris Hack, told me that he did college very well. Uh, he tried to incorporate a fade. He's, he's traditionally played a draw, as you can see, uh, watching any of the coverage over the past four days. Uh, he likes to play a draw. That didn't go particularly well. And I think there was just uh, there was heightened pressure, heightened expectations when you're playing big-time college golf. The, the fairways get narrower. The greens get firmer. There's more pressure. There's more anxiety. And, and he maybe didn't handle that the best. That's not to say that he was not a good player. And that's kind of where I was going with this. He is, he's always been an above average player. He was obviously exemplary as a junior, but he was a second team All-America that slipped in scoff at in, in college. You know, after flaming out twice uh, in the first round of Q school and kind of heading back to the mini tours, like he's, he's been on tour every year and kept his card for 11 consecutive years. 
yes, he's never taken that step to the next level. He's only twice been the tour championship. He has only those two wins against the weaker fields. His average FedEx Cup ranking is like 50th. But look, it's, it's hard to win on the PGA Tour. The game has changed in innumerable ways over the past 15 years. The game that came so easily to him is now dominated by players like Rory and John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler, who are absolutely maulers of the golf ball. There's less room for a Brian Harmon. He needs to be more exact. He needs to capitalize on some of his opportunities. And I think it's also a story, Rex, of how, how life can get in the way too. You know, when you go six plus years without a victory on the PJ tour, you begin to wonder if it's ever going to come. He has a wife now and three kids. He obviously has, has other interests besides golf, including hunting and fishing. And we're certainly going to get into that in a little bit. And so I, I think it's I think it's really cool. This reminds me of Shane Lowry. This reminds me of Martin Keimer. One one special shining moment for a player who has done a lot of the right things for a very long time, and he gets to pay off in a way that has to be so satisfying for him. Uh, I I would agree with everything except for one. You said two kind of weaker fields. I, I covered the Wells Fargo that he won, and he beat Dustin Johnson. It was not now, granted, It was not a it was not a Quill Hollow. He would probably it was not a not quarter, It was the well. Eagle Trace. It was at Wilmington. Short no, I'll course. give you the golf course. No, I'll give you the golf course, but it wasn't a weak field. Again, he beat Dustin Johnson, who was probably second, third ranked player in the world at the time, coming down the stretch. So, no, I don't think that's – a weaker field doesn't really qualify. Maybe easier golf course. I'll give you that. But you're right. I mean, that's kind of fascinating to me because he's not – He's not the guy that's going to sit there and make a lot of headlines. And he's probably not going to be that guy going forward. It's going to be interesting to see how he handles this. Being the champion of golfer of the year comes with a lot of unique challenges that you don't necessarily get when you win the other three major championships. Like this one sort of comes with some responsibility. You're supposed to be the representative of golf essentially outside the United States for everyone else outside the United States. And that's not really Brian Harmon. He wants to, again, I thought the great line coming out of one of the press conferences this week is find something that you lose track of time. And by that, he, that means hunting and apparently cutting grass because that, that was the highlight of the press conference tonight. But I, I will say you talk to people around him. You talk to JT. I talked to Harris English last night. None of them are surprised. Like no. they all realized no. how much talent he has. Zach Johnson, I read his comments that he said this afternoon, Zach was waiting for him when Brian came off the golf course. There was no shock because if you look at what he does well, he drives the ball well and he putts well. That's going to be a good formula. Really, it, anywhere you play golf, but essentially here, especially under these conditions, I, I was particularly impressed because you're right. I mean, you had to walk home in it. I had to walk home in it. This is the worst weather, not only of the week, this is the worst weather I can remember maybe since Port Rush when Lowry won on Sunday. Like, that oh, was pretty bad. Yeah. That, that, was was equally, that was equally miserable. Yep. Just cold and wet and kind of blowing sideways. I walked the first couple of holes with Rory, and it was just, it was just miserable out there. And he never looked flustered. And talking with Justin Parsons earlier this week about it, it was he sort of had to get to this point where he not only believed that he was good enough to win a major championship – but he was able to compartmentalize all the things that normally distract him. And in this particular case, the weather was going to distract everyone. Like even Rory talked about, like it was hard out there because I knew I couldn't hit driver because there's water on the club face. I mean, it's the differences are that minute, but they're that large when it comes to this level. 
I mean, the weather was horrible. He went through four towels and 15 gloves throughout 15. the final round. 15. 15. He had 15 gloves dangling uh, underneath his umbrella. It, and this was a very, I wouldn't call it anti-Harmon crowd because I don't think it was anything to do with him in particular. I think they were just bored. He had snuffed all of the all right. drama out right. of this golf Let's get at it. Let's go after was, it. All right, that, that's fine. We, we've paid off Harmon. We, we've done the thing where we've talked about the winner, and I think we're, we're pretty good. No, we're, this, we're, is, this is still – We're 20 is, minutes in. Go ahead and do your thing because I know where you wanted to go with this. No, I'm, I'm not even sure you know where I want to go. I, I was, no, I was I so impressed that he, that he drowned out all of the jeers, all of the quips, all of the criticisms. Um, they, were, they were making fun of his height. They were telling him to shank it. They were cheering – uh, they were rooting for his ball to go in the bunker. They were cheering when the when the when his his putts didn't you know just kind of burn the edge and didn't go in. Like it, I don't think it actually had anything to do with Brian Harmon. I, I think they were just drunk and they were bored and they were wet and they were miserable and they just wanted some sort of action. It didn't come. It didn't matter if it came from John Rahm or Roy McIlroy or Emiliano Grillo or Antoine Rosner. They literally just wanted to see something, and this was essentially. Georgia versus TCU in the first half, where they just absolutely ran over them and then just kind of bled the clock out in the second half. That's exactly what happened uh, with Brian Harmon and Open Championship. Uh, will it will it go down, Rex, as one of the most memorable major championships ever? No, <laughs> I think it is. I think it is fair to sit here on July twenty third, two thousand twenty three, and say that it will not. That's not to that's not to say that this was not a hugely significant moment in his career and again i think it's really i think it's really cool to see a guy have a career year or basically make his career in four days that's exactly what brian Harmon did there is one thing i wanted to get to rex why is there such a fascination with brian Harmon's proclivity for hunting the british press was was fascinated by this storyline it it dominated at least half of the press conference queries. I, I didn't even I didn't get to, to ask my question uh, of Brian Harmon because there were so many follow-ups and interrogations of of his tractors, what he likes to what he likes to hunt. What's what's the fascination? They called him the butcher of Hoylake. Uh, well, because they don't really hunt over here the way we do in the United States. Certainly, they don't hunt over here the way people do in Georgia. So I think there is a cultural difference that they're trying to wrap their minds around. I, I will say, and, and I'll give Brian credit on this one, after he kind of talked about played this. Ball. Yeah, he, he played ball, and, but he cleaned up his act after Friday. I think Friday he probably said some things that in retrospect he's kind of like, that's how he got the Butcher of Horlake, and then a lot of <laughs> a lot of the tabloids sort of weighed in. So I think he cleaned it up. He was very, very clear. Like, he, he doesn't hunt with a gun. He only hunts with a bow. This is something that he's always done. He talked about harvesting, I think it was an elk, and carrying it down off the mountain. Like, there's a lot of things that people in that culture they, they sort of cherish. It would be like you and I playing St. Andrews. I mean, it's just something that, that that's special. With, a bad, I with a bad caddy? With a bad caddy who caused me to have seven free putts? Or, or no. no. Uh, I don't hunt personally, I, but I do like to fish. And so I can kind of, kind of empathize with what he was going through. Again, this was a total cultural difference. And you are, and I'm, I'm quoting the person who ever yelled this at Ricky Fowler, you're being a quote-unquote coward right now because that's not the take you had today. In the hierarchy of major championships, I don't know how many you've covered. It seems to me it's probably quite a bit. Where would this one rank? Come on. 
Hit me with it. In terms of in terms of memorability? Whatever. Just just rank it for me. I don't care how you do it. You can have your metrics. It's up to you, pal. Uh e- I mean easily bottom bottom 3, bottom 5. Of how many? Of how many I've covered? I've covered almost every major since like 2012, 2013. I mean that's I don't know. So a lot of majors. That. Yeah. All right. I mean so it, it a lot was of certainly majors. It was certainly at the bottom. We were de- we were deprived of star power. He'd snuffed out all the drama over the weekend. The last two holes, I had such high hopes that the par three seventeenth and the OB laden eighteenth were going to come into play and really be the deciding factor in this golf tournament. It, it it didn't it didn't come to fruition at all. There was also some other obstacles that we had with the flash area that make it difficult to do our job. Uh, the the weather uh, only cooperated probably half the days. And look. The food's just not very good. Let's be honest. I had some sort of, I think it's called like a plowman's sandwich tonight. It was like a slice of cheese. The slice of cheese on two bread, on two pieces of bread, which was more than like the ham and cheddar sub that I had. This was not something you get at Jimmy John's. This wasn't something you get at Jersey Mike's. You're not going into Publix and ordering one slice of ham and one slice of cheese. Uh, it, it was not... It was not the greatest week in that department. Uh, and so if that's what you're referring to with my takes, uh, th- there you go. It was, it was not the most memorable week in major championship history. I think that's, I think that's safe to say. And that uh, I'm going to echo some things you said, but I'm going to be re- very, very out front. I'm going to try to clean some of this up right now. This has nothing to do with Brian Harmon. It was a dominant performance. And that's part of why this one probably isn't going to resonate. I'm going to get on a plane tomorrow and fly home. And the story I'm thinking about writing as far as a a Monday follow is going to be sort of just breaking down the major championship season. Now we've sort of come to an end. What were the things that stood out? And the things that's going to stand out from this one is, man, like after Friday, he pretty much sucked the drama out of the place. There was a little bit of drama on Saturday. Again, he got off to kind of a rocky start, but he, you know, he righted the ship a little bit of drama early on Sunday, a very, very similar scenario, but he made the turn. He was, and it, it was funny, and all right, I'll, I'll go ahead and throw this one at you because you weren't sitting there. Uh, the Our friend Jack Ryan, who's sitting behind us from the PGA Tour, Proud Georgia asked Bulldog. me, uh, another Georgia Bulldog, unfortunately, I'm surrounded by him in that media center. Uh, after, after Brian had teed off on 18 and he had found the fairway with a six-stroke lead, yeah, I believe he had a six-stroke He must have had a six-stroke lead. And he goes, do you think you could get it to the house from where he is in the fairway and still win? And I could right up until the point that so Brian hits his next shot. It's a bit of a layup, hits his third shot into a bunker. And I turned to Jack and I said, I don't think I could get it to the house from there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's basically insinuating that if you made, you would have to make a 12. You'd have to make a 12 yeah. to lose. From the middle of the fairway. Again, I've got a 200 and whatever, 60, 70 yard drive under my belt. So I've only got, let's say, 300, 300 yards in. You have yeah. 340 yards to the pin. That's what Brian Hartman had for his second shot. Keep in mind, there was out of bounds all the way down the right-hand side, literally just a few paces from the right edge. There's a grandstand. If you get relief from there, you're going to be going to be dropping from some very gnarly, wet rough. I'm actually, I'm actually not sure if you're strong enough to hack it out of that rough. I was looking at it today like, ooh, I, I would not necessarily want to miss in here. I think the better question is, could you make it? Could you make a twelve while standing on the eighteenth tee? 
Not the tea. No, I didn't want to do that. But the, 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 the deal was I was in the middle of the fairway with 340 yards. And I think I can punch a, a wedge down. I think I can punch I three mean, wedges wedge, on the mean, green. You could do – yeah, exactly. You could do a 100-yard wedge, 100-yard wedge, 100-yard yeah. wedge. That's what I'm doing. And then chip on and then two-putt and went, walk I away with I think the better you. question is could you make a 12? Could you make a 12 on the 18th tee? Uh, no, not doing that. I don't know if I could make a 12 from that bunker that he hit in. I, I don't want to find that out. Yeah. You would, you would absolutely not be able to hit it in a bunker. You wouldn't, you would not be able to escape it. You you could muster as much swing speed as you wanted. That ball was not going to be popping vertically. If that wind is left to right, like towards the out of bounds, I'm not sure I could make a 12 either. I would be aiming so far left. I'd be aiming, I'd be aiming down one. I'd be Terrell Hatton. One. You'd be doing Terrell Hatton left, right? I might be aiming down two. I may be going left of one, <laughs> like like off the, off the property. You just you just cannot bring out of bounds uh, in into play. No, it, it was not the most memorable performance, but at least at least we had some some giggles. Well, we have it. we have Andrew Bradley playing tomorrow, our colleague Andrew Bradley. So we'll we'll get an update. Maybe he'll do better than a twelve on eighteen. He's a pretty good player. I'm hoping he will. But again, to your point, I, I don't. I, I just want to clean it up. Brian Harmon's performance was brilliant. Everything about this open, though, was bad, which is weird because in my mind, this one ranks a really, really like. So, uh, my ranking of the open venues goes St. Andrews, which is that that's for most people. And then I have a 2A and a 2B because I really, really enjoyed Port Rush. I played it a couple times. I thought the first time we went there was really good with Shane Lowry. And this is 2B. I, I felt like this was so unique in 2006. And it was like one of the first times I think I really sat and watched Lynx golf and sort of was just mesmerized what Tiger was doing. This was so far from that. This was not even close to that. It was wet. Balls were spinning back. There was, there was puddles. Like once you start seeing puddles on Lynx golf courses, you realize that, yeah, like th- this isn't right. This, I, I have no problem with conditions. Don't, don't, please don't come at me. If you, we should be playing in the rain, we should be playing in the wind, but when you're playing in puddles, that just that's not Link's golf in my mind, and this was disappointing, as you pointed out, on many levels. If, like the RNA just couldn't, the, the weather didn't cooperate. They couldn't get the golf course exactly where they wanted. It's been a wet uh, couple of weeks leading into the Open Championship. Nothing you can do about that. I don't think anyone would argue that Brian Harmon did not play the best golf, and thus he's the Open uh, Champion golfer of the year. When you bring up the the major memories, Rex, of twenty twenty three. What stands out first and foremost, either players, uh, the championships, surprise contenders, disappointments, what, what first comes to mind? I just saw a tweet, and this goes to something you said earlier, that someone did like the totals, and I, I wish I could give them credit. I apologize for not being able to do it off the top of my head. But for all, all four of the majors, you had to make the cut in all four of them. And Scotty Scheffler was the runaway winner at 18 under par, like total score in the four major championships. And it, it was like six, seven, eight strokes ahead of whoever's in second place, which is fascinating to me because he didn't win a major this year. Mm. So I, I guess he should stand out to me. Personally, I, I go to the Masters and what John Rahm was able to do. I, I think that, in my mind, was probably the best of the four this year, only because I felt like there was a little bit of drama there. I, I felt like they from an entertainment perspective, I felt like the John Rom. I almost called it the back nine. That would have been a five dollars in the yikes. In the, in the, in the, uh, the second nine was 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 dreadfully boring. Like John Rom was staked to a three or four shot lead for the majority of of the second nine. There was no drama whatsoever. Brooks kept kind of 
petered out after having a big lead. And I guess that's just me thinking that anything can happen on the back nine. Mm, man. Mm, five bucks. I don't know. <laughs> Any, anything can happen on the second nine at Augusta because you feel like that that's the way it's always been. So maybe that's just in my mind. I'm certainly not going to say Brooks at the PGA Championship, which I think is what you're going to say because you're a homer and you're from Rochester and you, you love that area so much you moved away when you were 18 years old and haven't been back, as we've already established. And nothing against Wyndham Clark or LACC. I had such high expectations for that, but I didn't feel like there was any drama there as well. So I, I had to – But you're saying this major season just absolutely sucked. It's been flat. I, I don't think we can walk – we can't dance around it. I mean, it has been – can you name – like, what was the most exciting thing to you other than going home to your precious Rochester? The most exciting moment of this major season? Yeah. Well, okay, I, would say when Vic, I would say when Victor Hovland hit it in the fairway bunker on the 16th hole at Oak Hill. That was a compelling okay. duel between those two players, two of the best players in the world, and it all ended there. But then over the last... 30, 40 minutes of the golf tournament, it, 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 it was over. Like, was, was, was Wyndham Clark's, you, you know, sprint to the finish at LACC tense? Yeah. I, I think there was some, some genuine hope that there would be a playoff between the, those two characters. Uh, Ricky Fowler, of course, was tied for the 54-hole lead. Like, there was a lot to like about that major championship. But I don't think Sunday was, was particularly memorable. I don't think there was any highlights besides his – uh, his three wood shot into 14, uh, the, the par five there, the two putt birdie that gave him the cushion that he needed to, to win that championship. It, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm with you. It, it was a, it was a, a slow major season with, with two phenomenal major champions and two players that I don't think any of us saw coming. Wyndham Clark started the year outside the top 150 in the world and Brian Harmon hadn't won more than six years. Well, and I don't even mind that. Like, to that point, I, I'm not even sitting here and saying that, oh, because they're not named players or they weren't ranked inside the top 20 or whatever the case may be. That has nothing to do with this. I think, again, we've, we've We're talking about moments. There's no – We're talking about moments. moments. I mean, I, you can go back each year, and I can tell you that John Rahm's putt at 18 at Torrey Pines when he won the U.S. Open, I remember that. I'm always going to remember that. And I, I can kind of walk through – the years and give you my moment of the year, whatever it is. I felt like, like, man, that that's what I, I'm going to take from that major championship. It's really, really hard. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think Brian Harmon's par on 18 was awesome. And you could see the emotion in his face and he was clearly happy. He won by six strokes. He could have made a 12 man. Like it's, it's hard to sit here and, and get excited about it. You can't pass judgment on the winners. This has more to do with how they got there. And in this particular year, more so than any I can ever remember, man, it's just been flat. Yeah, there's also has been a lot going on in the golf world, which uh, potentially uh, overshadowed. That's got nothing. That's got nothing to do with it. I, I really, of, yeah, I, I see what you're but I'm, but I'm saying the news, the tension, the overarching drama, like the major season, kind of paled to what's going on in the golf universe. Uh, we have not really discussed Roy McIlroy, so let's do a have fun. Let's do a fun little subsection here, Rex. Let's give major grades to just four players. We're going to do Rory. We're going to do Brooks. We're going to do Scotty. And we're going to do John Rom. Let's first start with Roy McIlroy. He's the subject of your column on GolfChannel.com on Sunday, a T6 at Royal Liverpool. He will now enter the 2024 Masters nearly 10 
years removed from his last major championship. Utterly unthinkable, and yet that is the reality. What was the premise of your column? And then, of course, that will segue into your grade form for this major season. Uh, I called it a cool decade. I know it was not a cool decade, but I did call it a cool decade simply because when he left here in 14, and, and I remember standing on the green and watching him hug his mom, Rosie. You had a 70 second pass, did you? Uh, I did, yeah, just like I did today, <clears throat> which I, I happily handed over to my teammate because I'm a, I'm a good teammate like that. Uh, I'm going to I, – I remembered what that felt like, and I remember leaving, and it was two or three days later, Jack, Jack Nicholas was doing some sort of interview, and his take at the time was, oh, he's definitely going to you know, rack up more majors than I want. And that, that's so shocking when you have someone like Jack Nicholas say the thing where they're just all in and they're going to speak recklessly like that. It, but I, I think all of us believed it because it's not just that Rory had won four majors in four years. It was that he had won four majors in four years by an average of 4.76 shots. He wasn't even, I mean, he was blowing fields away. It was Tiger-esque. It was Jack Nicklaus-esque, whatever you want to call it. He was still young. The way he was doing it, he was doing it the modern way. He was overpowering courses. He was happy. He was relaxed. And then you kind of fast forward. And I, I like I said, I walked kind of today. I was out there in, in the rain and the muck and the mud and the cold. And it was such a different feeling with him walking off today. And I just think it was limitless in 2014 when he walked off like there was nothing Roy could not do and suddenly when he walked off today it hit me that there is limitations to even that potential even that extraordinary talent talent which we all agree that he has and he did the right thing he's not going to give us any of that grief any of that sadness he talked about you know you look at what I've done since then and I kind of agree with it I would argue he's pieced together a hall of fame career since he won that open in 2015 he I guess since when, since he won the PGA in 2015 because of the timing, but he's won 15 PGA Tour events. He's won he's three won players, FedEx Cup titles, three FedEx Cup titles. He's won the DP. He's won uh, two WGCs. He's uh, he's been world number one for 81 weeks. I mean, you can string all these things together, and yet somehow we're still in this dilemma where he's okay with it. It seems like he's okay with the idea that I keep knocking at the door. You want me to give him a grade? And I, I guess the grade would be an A minus because you don't get it done. But he's certainly – well, he's a certainly minus. there. He's certainly there is the point. I mean, that was kind of his point, and it's hard for me to debate that, that at least the last, let's say, three years. Because there was a time, let's call it 16, 17, 18, when he really didn't factor in. He, he was missing a couple cuts. He was never really in the mix. He never legitimately had a chance to win. But when you boil it down – and th this was a fun exercise because you and I – did it on the way to the golf course this morning, and then I had to do it again with Doug First and the AP golf writer who had some wildly different ideas. But I think I came up with a list. You, on TV you and uh, apparently Roy's close calls. Yes. You, you can count on one hand how many, quote-unquote, legitimate chances he had to win majors since 2014. And most of them have been in the last three years. And I would argue at least one of them has been this year at the U.S. Open, obviously. He had uh, it was a golden opportunity. Didn't get it done. Just made a lot of pars. And when you look at sort of the ebb and flow of how this works out, he usually gets off to a fast start, like he did the last two days. He birdied three of his first five holes the last two days, and then he essentially plays one over the rest of the way in. That's what he's done, and it just has not been good enough to get it done. And it's it's shocking to me. You and I both, you were there when I, I asked 
uh, Ricky Fowler, who finished runner-up to him here in 2014. And I go, if I'd have told you in 2014, we're going to be 10 years or nine years down the line, and Rory's not going to have another major, would you be shocked? And did he hesitate at all when he said Barry? Yeah, did not, did not hesitate at all. I, I mean, I think, wouldn't everyone in golf say that? Like, you look at the monstrous gifts he possesses, how good he is in regular events. You mentioned, like, he literally has amassed a Hall of Fame career since this drought, yet he hasn't had another major championship. I'm, I'm struck, and you mentioned it, by just how few opportunities he's actually had. You think back to the 2018 Masters. He's paired with Patrick Reed in the final group, hit it off the planet uh, on the opening hole. That kind of set the tone for the rest of the day. Obviously, the Open Championship last year at St. Andrews, he was tied for the 54-hole lead, hit all 18 greens in regulation, didn't have a single one-putt birdie. Um, you look back um, at the LACC, I think he, he didn't have a birdie after, what, the second hole uh, for the rest of, that, uh, of the final round. So I, I guess the question, Rex, and I don't know how much you explore this in your column, why? What's, what's, what's the reason? How can someone who is so extravagantly gifted, who possesses every single skill, who is a consistent factor in major championships, who has improved, I think, his weaknesses in terms of uh, short iron play and putting, based on not what he was earlier or earlier in his career. He, I mean, he was a top ten, he was a top twenty putter last year on the PJ Tour. He's taking a step back this year. How, how can this? How can this happen? How how can this happen that he's now going ten years without winning? I think the easiest answer is it's hard to win majors. Like that, that's the cliched easiest answer. And of course you have to throw it out there. There's other things involved here. There's injury. I mean, you, we just walked through pretty much the five near misses he had. I would argue that 2015 was, yeah, <laughs> 2015 was his best bet. But he, of course he injured himself in a kickabout. We're still not hundred percent sure what a kickabout is. is, but that was probably going to be his best opportunity. Uh, I would say even more so than this week. And I, I thought this week was a prime. I mean, this was just prime rib right out there for him. I mean, all you have to do is put it on the grill and sear it and get it ready. That, it was time. Smoke for it. Him. Let's smoke it. Let's, let's reverse let's, sear. Reverse sear it. Let's pull it off when it hits to 120 and then just <laughs> sear the hell out of it. Crisp, crisp up those edges. Tom, Tom from DP World that Tour, for you, that's Tom. for you. We're going to do, do that in Italy for the Ryder Cup. We, uh, we've been challenged by a, a DP World Tour official who is going to be on the European Ryder Cup side, by the way, uh, to, do a, uh, to do a barbecue when, in, in Italy this year. I'm not quite sure how we're going to pull that off. But if, someone would, if someone would like to loan us a Weber kettle in Italy, yeah. we, would love to, we would love to fire it up. That's, Tom, that's a challenge that's accepted. Uh, I'm not dodging the question because I think injuries factor into this. I think loss of confidence factor in this, into this. I think lifestyle factors into this. He got married. He had a kid. There's a lot of things that factor into it. I will say I did not go as far as apparently Brandel Chambly did on live from tonight. And I haven't seen the show, so I don't want to misspeak here. But based on what I saw on Twitter, that it's essentially I think Brandel's point was he just doesn't work hard enough. And I disagree with that notion. Whoa. <laughs> I disagree with that notion. And again, didn't watch the show. So if I'm, I'm misspeaking here, Brando, I wildly apologize. I, I, but I don't, I, I don't think that's correct. I, I don't think this is up for a lack of desire. I don't think this is for a lack of work. I think they're just really, really hard to win. And if you look at the landscape in golf right now, as I just pointed out, Scotty Scheffler did not win a major this year. 
and yet if you combined all four of them, he blows the field away with his score. So you, it, you can have a really, really good week and still end up not winning. And I think Rory's probably had a couple of those, and he's probably had some that he, he didn't play really, really good, where I'll go immediately to the Masters. Like, we're going to show up next year at Augusta National, and the conversation is going to be he's going to be a month shy of his 36th birthday, and it's going to be when's he, when is he going to complete the career Grand Slam? And that pressure is only going to continue to crush down on him. So he worked hard enough to win last year's Canadian Open. He worked hard enough to win last year's Tour Championship. He worked hard enough to last win last week, year's Scottish Open. DJ Cup. He worked hard enough to win uh, the Dubai event earlier this year. He worked hard enough uh, to win the Scottish Open last week. But he he's but he's not working hard enough to win a major. And again, I, this is I don't all, want to misspeak for my mental. colleague. Uh, probably, probably there is a, no. There's quite a bit of mental to it. I, I again, I think every, every, the other factors are in this as well, but you're assuming that somehow he's beating himself up every single time. Now I, I went to LACC and thought to myself, yeah, that's gotta be mental. I mean, there, there's a reason why a player of that caliber can't make a birdie after the third hole tension. You, you're, it's a hard golf course, but you're still the second best player in the world. You, you're still a four time major champion. You've got to find a way to make a birdie. Tension shows up on the greens. It shows up in how you're reading putts it shows up in how you're hitting putts. It shows up in your speed control. If you are not making birdies, it is a combination of all three. It is it is a mental issue of Roy McIlroy, not a physical. Can one. you I'm do that in something. Yoda's voice? Can in your Yoda voice? Tension shows up on the screen. It does. <laughs> but I'm sure that's something that we will look at. And he's I didn't I didn't talk to Rory today. Uh, you were in that press conference. I believe he said it's all systems go for a fourth FedEx Cup title. I'm not sure that this will that will make the sting of this major season. Fifth Ryder Cup. Fifth Ryder Cup. Uh, obviously, that's a huge goal. Not that the major season is over. You didn't have a chance to win. We, you did dodge the question in terms of what we're giving Roy McIlroy. Or no, you didn't. You said a ridiculous A- minus for Roy McIlroy's major season. I'm going B- minus. He missed the cut in the B-. major that matters most to him. It was so demoralizing to him. It was so frustrating. It was so jarring and shook him it shook him to his core that he he forfeited $3 million to play the next week at a layup event, a working vacation at the RBC Heritage, forfeited $3 million, uh, kind of got off with a swing, didn't play particularly well with, despite a top 10 finish at the PGA Championship. I, I'm, going, I'm going B minus. He, he, he basically gritted out his game at the PGA. I'm not sure how you can say he had an A. We didn't win a major championship. I said I said A minus. I said A minus. A plus is winning a major an championship a, in my An A minus is some form of an A. How can how can you possibly justify that? Well, because he went miscut, tied for seventh, second at the US Open, and tied for sixth this week. Yes. That's, that's pretty good, man. But the one time he had a chance to win a major championship, he he fell short. Uh, he, he did, he and again, we've kind of addressed that. But I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit here and and pick it apart. I don't know who has. That's exactly what we're doing. Scotty Scheffler, Scotty Scheffler, Scotty Scheffler is probably the best. So I'm going to give him an A, and he didn't win one, as I just pointed out. Like he didn't win one, but if you look at his combined score over the four majors and having made the cut in all four majors, he is the lowest by far. How do I not give him an A? So by that same logic, do you disagree with that? I know I don't know how many more years you want to do the sports journalist job. Um, 
I, I don't think college professor uh, is going to be in your future. So, so j- just, just to be clear, you're, you're given, you're given Rory a, an A minus, even though he missed the cut in the major that he, that he covets the most, the one that has, has been dogging him uh, ever since his collapse in, in 2011, the one that cost him $3 million because he was in such a poor headspace that he could return for a month. You're going to, you're going to give him, uh, you're going to give him an A minus, but you're, you did come one, one shot short at the USO, but you're going to give Scotty Scheffler an A. An A. Scotty Scheffler did not have one. did not have a chance to win any of these major championships. He finished tenth at the Masters while finishing last in the field in putting. He backdoored a T two at the PGA where he had absolutely zero chance to win on that Sunday. Uh, the U.S. Open uh, was it was another okay performance. Another one that he was dogged by a poor putter. He ended up finishing third there. Uh, I'm not sure that I wrote his name uh, the entire week. And then this week. He shoots 67, a low round of the day on Sunday to finish T25. How can you give him an A? What are you, what are you giving Brooks and John Rahm? Eight-plus uh, pluses? No, Brooks definitely you're not, you're gets not thinking, uh, You're not thinking both, through this, are you? No, I am. I, I think both those guys get A-pluses, absolutely. I mean, they won majors, and they, were, they played pretty well in other majors. So, yeah, absolutely. All right. I don't know why, I don't know why you're picking do. this apart so much. I mean, I feel like... Rory McIlroy played really well in the majors. This goes back to Jack Nicklaus finished second in 19 major championships. That they're really, really this goes back to what I just said. They're he played really, really well, or he played well, because that's the difference between an A and a B. Uh, not in my mind, and it was an A minus. So you keep you keep sort of splitting hairs here. Like it's a form of an A. It is, a minus is a form of an A. It is. It's 90 to 93. That is the that is what a John Rom Brooks both get a pluses. I guess I'd have to look at Brian Harmon's rec- record in the other three majors. I don't know it off the top of my head. You wrote the story. What do you, how did you fit, finish in the other three? Didn't include that in my uh, uh, game story. Uh, perhaps I can make a little oh, fifteen hundred words. It never got around to that. No, nope. Because okay. you know what you can do with that major record. Look it up on Google. Uh, so I'm going B minus for Roy McIlroy's major season. I'm going B. Oh. For Scotty Scheffler, because consistency does mean something. You can't take away the fact that he did have a couple of top three finishes, even if he did not have a chance to win. I don't, I don't, I don't think Scotty Scheffler would view this as a successful major season, knowing that he did not actually have a chance oh, I don't to either. win with a couple holes to play on Sunday. That's why I'm giving him a B. I think that I think the big question, Rex, is is how do you evaluate or how would you um, how would you characterize Brooks's versus John Rahm's major year. John Rahm overtook Brooks at the Masters, won by a handful of shots, uh, did not play particularly well at either the PGA or the U.S. Open, then comes back at the Open Championship, plays well, finishes T2. Brooks coughs up the lead at the Masters, wins the PGA, doesn't play great at the U.S. Open, still musters a, a top 20 finish, and then comes here, uh, to Hoylake and is 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 dreadful. Finishes outside the top sixty, although making the cut. Like, which one do you think is is more impressive? Because it's it's almost a wash statistically. Yeah, I'm I, I'm not picking between those two. Do you you have mean, to. That's a little no. the question. <laughs> no, I'm not going to play your game because you it, you just laid it out. Like they essentially have the same season. They just yep. pick different weeks. So which one would you win, rather have? Contend. Which one? Were, well, I'd rather win the Masters more than anything else. So I guess John Rahm would be the answer to that. Um, 
Yeah, because if you look at what John Rahm did at the PGA Championship in the U.S. Open, he, he wasn't clearly at his best. Uh, I think what he had this week was impressive, especially after starting the week. We saw how aggravated he was. He wasn't in a good headspace, it seemed like. And he was able to at least give himself a chance on Sunday. I mean, granted, it was a far-flung chance like everyone else had here on Sunday. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not picking between those two. I feel like if you had to – like, I'm giving them both A-pluses. I guess I'll leave it at that. I'm giving them both A's. I'm not giving them both oh, for A God pluses. Sake. I mean, a T64 is essentially You'd be a terrible professor. I would school. never no. want to take a class from you. People, would, but people would respect me. People would respect me because I'm a little they would bit hate you of a, of a strict rate. They would hate you. Just, just to button this up, John Rom did have a slightly better major record. He had a T10 at the U.S. Open, another one like Scottie Scheffler. I'm not sure I mentioned his name uh, throughout the entire week. So I would give the edge results-wise to John Rahm. I think the better story, I think the biggest story for me this year was the reemergence of Brooks Kepka. Easily could have had two majors. He's going to be on that U.S. Ryder Cup team. This was a player who 13, 14 months ago, many of us, perhaps even myself included, had kind of left him for dead. Uh the injury concerns, the move to live. His career was very much uncertain at that point. And to reassert himself, even kind of ending flat as he did here, uh, to, to me was, at this point at least, July 23rd, the story of the year in 2023 at the majors is Brooks Kepka's reemergence. No, that's good. I, I totally agree with that. And I guess the opposite of that would be Scotty Scheffler, right? I mean, even though, I mean, the, the things we've just pointed out, the fact that he didn't win one, because he hit the ball so well. I mean, does it feel like like a missed opportunity? Did you waste a season? Because you, you did things this season that only Tiger Woods had done before you. And somehow you weren't able to pick off one of those majors. Again, they're really, really hard to win. I'm not discounting how hard they are to win. But, I mean, you were at a level that very, very few players have ever got to before. And somehow you weren't able to knock one of those off. I, I, th- I, think, I think Roy probably feels the same way. Last year, he was TA Fair. better in, or in this all year. major championships. You could probably say the same thing about Rory this year. Yeah, but I, I think back to last year in particular. He was the player of the year of the PGA Tour, the FedEx Cup champion, T8 in all four majors, and, won it and was unable to get one. I mean, you only get four of these a year. Like, we do this punch shot on January 1st where we predict major champions for the year, and all of us always say, well, you know, this is the year that Xander is going to take the next leap, or, or Tony Finau. Brian Harmon out there and it's Brian Harmon and Wyndham Clark, but Patrick Cantley, uh, Cameron Smith didn't win when Max Oma just has his first top 10 in a major championships. Jordan Spieth was kind of MIA over the last couple of major championships of the year as well. Scotty doesn't win one. Like uh, Kyle Morikawa is now two years without a victory. Like it's hard. <laughs> There's four of them. It's the world's best players. You have difficult conditions like you had over these four days at Hoylake. Uh, betting on golf, I will never understand it. Uh, that's why I don't do it. Um, but that's why that's what it keeps us coming back, isn't it, Rex? Like you never know what's going to happen. That's why uh, covering these major championships, despite the hassles that the RNA gives us, um, are such a joy to do because you just never know what's going to happen. All right, what's coming up for you over the next couple weeks? The ten, uh, the, for me at least, the focus. Heads to Justin Thomas. He has signed up for next week's 3M Open. Also expects to play the Wyndham Championship, barring something miraculous this week in Minnesota. I think this is like the worst case scenario for what transpired over the weekend 
at Hoylake. Brian Harmon going to be an automatic qualifier for that U.S. team. Mm-hmm. Cameron Young, although he didn't have a great Sunday, uh, shot 73 while playing in the final group. He's shown some sign of life first, first of the deer, now at the Open. Kyle Morikawa always lurking as one of the best iron players. JT, JT's got to show something here, not just to make the playoffs, but to also make an impression on Captain Johnson. Yeah, I'm kind of fixated on the playoffs because I think the Ryder Cup sort of fits in after that as we get closer to East Lake and the team gets solidified a little bit more. Only because, like I guess we were talking about Adam Scott this morning, I think he's 78th right now on the points list. And it's such it's such a cutoff this year. Like if you were going to pick a year to somehow finish inside the top 50 on the FedEx Cup points list, this would be the year because of what it means going into next season. I mean, everything's going to be so different and the difference between 50 and 51 it's just going to be jarring. I mean, it, you, the guy who finishes 50th is going to be able to play a very, very special schedule of nothing but elevated events with $20 million purses, and the guy at 51 is going to be scrambling for his career. I, I think it, it's it's impossible to overstate how important that's going to be. So it, the next two weeks, in my mind, will effectively be a fourth and a fifth playoff event because people are positioning themselves now. And, and it's funny. I was talking with the tournament director, Mark Brazel, from Wyndham, about this earlier this season, like his event has become more important now than it probably ever has been because of what it means going into next year. And look, there are other avenues. Like it's not the be all and end all. If, if Justin Thomas can remain Mm. among the top 30, he can still get in there. There's going to be these mini swings between the designated and non-designated events. There's going to be a separate point list. You can work your way. You don't have to do finger quotes for that. They're, they're actually called, they're, they're actually mini swings. They're not fake mini swings. We're gonna write minis. We're gonna write mini swings and stories, just like FedEx Cup is all one word. Uh, and so there, there, framework there is agreement. A, but but I'm with you. It's it's the reason why you're covering the first playoff event in Memphis. It's the reason why I'm covering the BMW Championship. It's the reason why we're both going to be at, at East Lake. Uh, the the FedEx Cup playoffs have never been more important. And then once the playoffs are over, you look at the Ryder Cup. You look at the framework agreement becoming a definitive agreement potentially, and what that all means for the future of the PGA Tour. All right, we're 53 minutes into this podcast, Rex, what is the first thing you are going to eat when you get back on American soil? Uh, I'm taking an Uber home. I was thinking about that, actually. Do you think I can get him to stop? Like, there's a there's a Four Rivers barbecue, like, right at my exit oh. when I get off I-4 in Orlando. I think I he, – will he stop? Can I get him to stop? No, that's not cool. I mean, if you pay him, I think I think he'll do anything. He's at, he's at your beck and call. What would you order? From Four Rivers, since apparently the the, the barbecue in, in West Kirby wasn't wasn't hitting all your needs. Uh, the little tiny ribs in West Kirby didn't do it for me. I would probably do ribs and uh, fetus they ribs. Have really, they're not baby uh, backs. They're, they're fetus ribs. They're so that's gross. So they're tiny. so small. So yes. tiny, but so juicy. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, burnt ends and ribs. Uh, they have such good. I mean, oh, so good. Which uh, uh, yeah, leads me to my my bigger question is how much barbecue sauce from Southern Soul can you fit into the Claire jug? <laughs> just just pouring it in there, dousing it. I think that's like Justin <laughs> Thomas. He's been on this new diet. Uh, it would not surprise me if he just excuse <laughs> the whole diet, just pounds pizza and just is is bathing in ranch dressing. At this point, I could see Brian Harmon doing that once he gets back to Georgia. He's at the drive through at Popeyes, just ordering the <laughs> the, the family basket. I'm going to take one through eight, please. Uh, for me, thank you for asking. Uh, I'm going to be queuing up steak night. Uh, that's what my four-year-old loves most of all. Uh, I think I'll do a nice do a nice ribeye. I love a flat iron steak, underrated cut. 
Uh, look forward to fire up the PK on that one. The countdown, of course, has resumed uh, until I'll be getting a hold of my offset scheduled to come between the BMW Championship and the Tour Championship. Uh, something tells me we'll be doing the podcast from my backyard uh, with that beauty uh, sitting behind me. It should be a good week. I'm going to Banff in a couple weeks' time, so I'll be enjoying some family time, enjoying some good grub, and packing on uh, the pounds that I uh, absolutely lost this week. Not just walking the golf course, but starving myself because some of the food was so inedible. All right. We got it. Thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Golf Show Podcast with Rex and Lab. We appreciate all the listens, all the downloads, all the comments this week for all the mini pods from the entire major championship season, not just this week at Hoylake. Make sure you go to golfshow.com for a recap of all of our final round coverage. Brian Harmon, Go Dogs, Dogs on Top. Better never rest. You love to see it. Go dogs. We'll talk to you next week. Better never rest.